What's up, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we've got another Monday mailbag for you with a couple of questions from the fans, and then we're going to dive into NFL talk, including a special Thanksgiving edition of Love It or Fade It, and then lastly, going to talk about some big moves in NBA free agency. Episode 24 coming at you right now. Everybody and thank you for tuning in once again to the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. I'm Landon Pangburn along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. Just want to wish all the listeners out there a happy Thanksgiving week. Although P, this is another one of those years that you and I are not going to be spending Thanksgiving together, so this is going to have to do. How you doing, man? I'm good. Yeah, Thanksgiving week. You'll be out in Dallas with the fam. I am in Atlanta for Thanksgiving this year, helping Tori and her family break in their new house. It's funny because Tori's dad the other day was saying that he'd be happy to watch the Cowboys game with me on Thanksgiving because he knows that that's our family tradition. And I responded to Tori like, God, no, you couldn't pay me to watch that. (laughs) But now that the Cowboys are elite again after beating the Vikings, and my biggest concern as a Cowboys fan is whether or not Dak Prescott will be healthy enough to return for the Super Bowl, I'm back in. I'm excited to watch that game. (laughs) That is incredibly kind of him to offer to watch that game because that's kind of tough. One good thing about us not being together, do you know I'm going with this for Thanksgiving? No. Okay. So just as a little background, our family lives in Dallas. It's a house that they moved into after Preston and I were already out of college. So it's got three bedrooms. It's got mom and dad's room. It's got Lauren's room and it's got a guest bedroom. So back in the day before we got married, we used to switch off in the guest bedroom, so I'd occasionally get a bed. Mm. But ever since you got married, you guys automatically get the guest bedroom, and I'm stuck in the couch upstairs in the TV room. So now, because you're with the in-laws for Thanksgiving, I get a bed. So I'm going to miss having all there deeply, but it's a nice little consolation that I actually get to sleep in a bed for Thanksgiving weekend. Well, I'm happy for you. I honestly didn't know you felt that way. We'd be happy to trade with you because that room upstairs is elite. It is elite. But it's not- like pitch dark in there. You can sleep in until noon and you wouldn't even realize it because there's no windows up in the media room. So and it's got a dope projector. Switch. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying beds are nice. They're legit. Couches are slightly worse. Fair enough. Yes, beds are huge. Another little personal thing that happened over the weekend is we played golf. Well, we we attempted to play golf. We played nine holes. We completed them before we had to go back to work on Monday. So success. How'd you feel about that? I felt okay. You, I think you said you hadn't played in five years and yeah. you beat me by two strokes. I mean, I, I've probably played only a handful of times in the past five years. I beat you by more than two strokes. No, you didn't. I did. Do you have the scorecard? Yes, it's downstairs in my bag. Well, how many was it? Four. Whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, it was regardless. It was not pretty for me than one of us, but at least we finished. We had a good time. Yeah. I mean, my goal going in was in nine holes just to get one par. And I had one yep. legit par on a par four, actually hit a decent drive, didn't go with the old power slice, which is kind of my brand. But yeah, I, I was happy with their performance, I guess. It was sick. And now I'm going back out there this Friday in Dallas with dad. And my only goal is to finish the entire round without him wanting to light me on fire. 
<laughs> yeah, just the two of you, and it sounds like it's a pretty tough course. So good yeah. luck out there, man. Thanks, man. All right, well, on that note, let's go ahead and jump into our Monday mailbag question because it's golf-related. Yeah, you got the first one? Yeah, so Sam wants to know who is going to win the big golf match this Friday. So a little background we had that Tiger and Phil match with Peyton and Tom Brady a couple months back during COVID, which was really fun to watch. That one ended up being sick because Tom Brady, he got off to that horrendous start and then holed out from like 150 yards and then got all cocky and started playing really well. Yeah. So, so that yeah. was fun. And they all the guys were mic'd up, so you got to be in on the conversation. So it was a good time. But anyways, the matchup this Friday is Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley against Peyton Manning and Steph Curry. So what you got there? So it's a really fun matchup. I mean, four great personalities. I think if you look at the odds, Steph Curry and Peyton Manning are the favorite, which surprised me. They're minus 175 to win this thing. And it says a lot about Chuck's golf game yes, for does. him to be paired up with one of the best golfers in the world and be, you know, the underdog in this. So I'm actually going to go with the underdog here, though. I, I think that Phil Mickelson's going to carry the team. Barkley's going to come up with enough good shots and that they're going to pull it out. All right. So I think the important part, the thing that you and I both thought about right when we heard this question was what's the format of the thing. So as a little bit of background, this match is modified alternate shot, which means that Mickelson and Barkley are both going to tee off and then they will swap balls for their second shot. So Mickelson's going to hit it from wherever Barkley drove it. Barkley's going to hit it from wherever Mickelson drove it. And then after they hit their second shots, then they choose the best ball to continue from there. So that's why Peyton and Steph are favorites is because Charles Barkley actually is going to be forced to contribute a little bit. It's going to be so interesting. First of all, I think Charles Barkley should commentate on every sporting event just because he cracks me up. So this is going to be fun to watch regardless, just because of him and Peyton Manning, to be honest too. Peyton yeah, Manning's Peyton's great. so funny. So I'm going to go with Steph and Peyton. I think I'm going to go with the favorite, but more than anything, I'm just in it for the entertainment value. And I think it's going to be a blast to watch. Oh yeah. I can't wait to watch it. Like you said, Peyton's an electric personality. Chuck is always fun. I just think that the format, I don't know why, but in my mind, it just favors Phil Mickelson a little bit. Like Chuck's just going to hit one shot on every hole. And then from there, I think Phil, pretty much finishes it out so on on par threes i guess if chuck is teeing off and just hits one terribly it's going to be a battle but i don't know I'm, I'm going with the underdog here give me the professional golfer i just can't wait to see phil's reactions when he's got to hit his second shots from like these ridiculous places it's going to be he's going to be hitting a second shot from like the, the front tee box half the time right yeah it's going to be like a 180 yard par three chuck tees off and then phil's like wait why am i hitting from 200 yeah, exactly what's going on here Exactly, but it'll be electric regardless. Looking forward to it. Let's go. All right, well, moving on to our second Monday mailbag question. This one came in from Scott in Portland. This question hits near and dear to our hearts, Lando. Scott wants to know, is Kirby Smart the next Mark Richt? Mm, this is tough. I'm so torn on how to answer this. Statistically, so far, yes, he kind of is. Record-wise, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Kirby's 49 and 14, I believe. Mark Richt was somewhere close to that in his first five seasons or whatever to this point in his Georgia coaching career. Mark Richt had won two SEC championships and Kirby's won one, but Kirby also took us to a national championship that we lost. So what they've done so far is about the same. Kirby's kind of got that black spot on his resume right now with the whole Justin Fields issue going on that Mark Richt didn't have that opportunity to make that mistake. I don't know. This is really, really tough. So I guess my biggest thing is that what Mark Rick did, if it's the same as what Kirby's done so far, that bought Mark Rick another 10 years. He ended up at UGA for 15 years. Kirby's been there for five. So if Kirby has another 10 years to do it, I think he gets it done. But I don't know. What do you think? 
So I've been a big supporter of Kirby Smart and sometimes an apologist. I mean, I was just, I was so fed up with Mark Richt during the last few years of that era that I just kind of decided that I would show my unwavering support for whoever the next guy was going to be. Um, But I, I do finally have some concerns about Kirby Smart a little bit. I know that he doesn't quite get the benefit of the doubt with this whole Duan Mathis versus Stetson Bennett versus JT Daniels quarterback situation this year, especially after, I mean, JT Daniels goes out there against Mississippi State this week and absolutely lights it up. 400 yards, four touchdowns, best game for a UGA quarterback since 2013. And after the game in the postgame press conference, JT Daniels said, I wasn't cleared for Arkansas. From then on, it was a coach's decision. I'm sure that Kirby probably prefers that he didn't say that. But I mean, if that's the case, it's just hard to justify why he was wasn't in there. I actually don't have any problem with the JT Daniels thing. I did see a quote from JT Daniels' dad yesterday, and he's like, yeah, I was out there. I saw the practices, and he wasn't ready. He couldn't move very well. His leg wasn't 100%. He wasn't getting the kind of velocity behind his throws. I My decision on Kirby Smart, whether I like him or not, or whether he's the same as Mark Richt, actually has nothing to do with JT Daniels whatsoever. I don't have a problem with what he's done this year. JT Daniels clearly had some issues, and it wasn't there yet. But at the same time, he still hasn't won any big games recently, hasn't get, taken us over the hump. So I'm still on the fence about Kirby right now. Yeah. And like I said, I, I've been a big Kirby guy. Kirby came into this season nine and four against top 10 teams with two of those losses or maybe even three of them against Alabama. And then another one being against LSU last year who went on to win the national championship. So he's beaten all the top 10 teams other than the ones who are, you know, national championship caliber. But then this year, you know, now he's nine and six in those games because they lost to Bama and Florida. And that's actually my bigger concern is the defensive side of the ball. If Kirby is going to be not the best talent evaluator at the quarterback position, then he needs to be his defensive guru self and just be shutting teams down, even if they're some of the best offenses in college football. And against the two good offenses Georgia has played this year, they gave up 564 yards and 41 points to Bama and then 571 yards and 44 points to Florida. I mean, those are just atrocious, embarrassing defensive efforts, but I'm confident that they're going to get it together and turn it around and kind of right the ship. And then you, you know, you start looking at 2021, if JT Daniels is going to be the guy at quarterback, and then you have a stable of receivers that includes George Pickens, a healthy Dominic Blaylock, Jermaine Burton, who just came close to the all-time record for receiving yards in a game. I mean, that's pretty good, along with Karis Jackson, too. I mean, those four are pretty insane. So optimistic for 2021. Yeah, I'm optimistic, too, mainly because we've seen this kind of transition in college football, especially over the last five or so years, where teams, especially like Bama and LSU, have kind of changed their philosophy and become these all-out offensive assault teams, which is what you have to be to be competitive in college football these days. That's what Clemson's been for a while. That's what Ohio State's been for a while. You have to be able to put up points. We've been kind of behind the, the ball game as far as that's concerned the last few years. And hopefully with this quarterback situation and a lot of receivers, that's hopefully finally turning around. Yeah, exactly. You saw what Coach O did with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow last year. I mean, you just need something, you know, not at that scale, but similar. You got Todd Munkin in there. You trust him to be your offensive guy. Just got to figure it out. Kirby's responsibility needs to stay on the defensive side of the ball and in recruiting where he's killing it. Just got to figure out offense. It takes time. Cool. Is that it for the uh, Monday mailbag? That's all I got. And you want to move on to some NFL? Let's do it. You just mentioned Joe Burrow. So let's start there. That was one of the big stories in the NFL this weekend is that rookie of the year candidate number one overall pick Joe Burrow went down with a pretty nasty looking leg injury what are your thoughts there 
Well, that sucks because everyone loves Joe Burrow. I mean, after the season he had last year, he just kind of became a legend and everyone was really hoping he'd do well this year, turn the Bengals around, win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he was potentially on pace to do so. But yeah, it, it looked like a bad injury, tore his ACL and MCL and had some further structural damage to that knee. And I just hate when these ACL injuries happen in the second half of the season because he's probably not going to be ready for the beginning of next year. So one, it sucks to be missing out on Joe Burrow and Two, it sucks that we have to watch more Ryan Finley. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's a bummer for everybody, like you said, because Joe Burrow is a very, very likable guy. This is a franchise that has historically struggled, and they need something good to happen. Last year, their, their first-round draft pick, Jonah Williams, their left tackle was out for the whole season with injury, and now they've lost Joe Burrow. Just a bunch of consecutive setbacks for the Bengals, but well wishes to Joe Burrow. Hope he Wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully, he'll be back out there sometime towards the beginning of next year. Yeah, I'm with you. And then while we're on the topic of this past quarterback class, let's talk about the other two. Mm-hmm. Tua Tugavailoa got benched yesterday, uh, and they ended up losing 20-13 to 13 to the lowly Broncos. So bad look for Tua. I don't know if he, I mean, I assume he gets to start again next week, but he is not off to the start that they were hoping. Well, yeah, it was kind of weird because I was watching that game yesterday, and I'm not sure it's exactly what they've made the story out to be he had a pretty kind of weird looking play where he got bent over his leg and his ankle rolled pretty bad and his knee was kind of in a funky position I'm not sure it was entirely just a benching he didn't play that badly he was 11 for 20 with a touchdown no no turnovers like it wasn't great but it's what you expect from a rookie quarterback I think might have been some of it might have been related to something going on with his leg so I'm not super concerned about Tua I got you. All right. Well, then let's talk about your boy, the third one in this draft class, Justin Herbert, who just continues to light it up. What do you think about him? Yeah, he has been absolutely incredible from a real life perspective and a fantasy perspective. Yesterday, because I was starting him in fantasy, was the first time I had really watched a lot of one of his games this year. And he makes some ridiculous throws. He has great pocket presence. He has more mobility than you'd expect. He had that one throw yesterday where he's rolling out to his left and Keenan Allen's in the back of the end zone and then decided to cut back and he just threw a bullet in there across his body. He just makes some great plays, plays well beyond his years for a team that is not overly talented. They've lost a lot of games this year by really close margins. They should be better than whatever they are, two and seven two and nine whatever the heck they are they suck but they should be a lot better than they are he's played great looking forward to seeing his future they've got a bright bright future in los angeles because of him Yes, they do. He's been incredible. Just the arm strength, the way he throws the ball downfield. I can tell you as a Keenan Allen fantasy owner, I love the guy. What a what a huge upgrade from mm-hmm. Terod Taylor. But anyway, yeah, bright future in LA with Herbert. Yeah, hard not to love that guy. I also want to ask you about another quarterback who is not your boy, Taysom Hill getting the W for the Saints in his first career start at NFL quarterback. You're historically a big hater of Taysom Hill. I want to know what you got. <laughs> All right. I want to clarify. I'm not necessarily a hater. You're I'm a just, hater. I'm not sold. I do not believe that they think he is the future franchise quarterback. Otherwise, why did he take a, a contract of two years, $16 million? But anyway, he did play well against the Falcons, who are not very good. I mean, credit to him for the way that he played, got that win, kept him in first place in the NFC South. But a lot of people, I admit it was an overreaction, but a lot of people were already calling for his head when they were down towards the end of the first half there. I mean, I just want to see what happens when they get down against a good team by 10 points. Is he still the guy and does it change? Calling, people were calling for whose head? Taysom Hill. Uh, I'm talking about like people on Twitter. You must be talking or looking at a bunch of morons on Twitter. He played fantastic in the first half. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. They were down like 6-3 with two minutes left in the half. 
He played really well in the first half. He threw the ball well. They just had some turnovers. They were fine. Didn't score any points. Guy's a bum. Get out of here. Okay, so basically, you are you said you're not a hater, and then you have proceeded to just talk hate on Taysom Hill the rest of the time. You're absolutely a hater. You can admit it. It's fine. I'm not a hater. You're just a bum. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, he threw, he was 18 for 23 for 233 yards, also ran for 51 yards and two touchdowns. So hang on to that as long as you want to, but Taysom Hill is legit. Yeah. It's kind of a curse for them because I'm looking at their upcoming schedule and it's Broncos, Falcons, Eagles. So they'll probably beat all three of them and then they'll run into a buzzsaw with the Chiefs and just get beat by 40. But anyway, out on Taysom. Okay. Well, why don't we place some sort of bet on Taysom Hill this weekend? Uh, okay, what you got? Okay, let's see here. I will be willing to bet who they play this weekend. Broncos play the, at the Broncos. I'd be willing to bet that Taysom Hill has over 250 yards and gets the W this weekend. I'll take the under. Okay, the under slash loss. It's like a parlay, basically. I'm saying over 250 yards and a win for me to win. Okay, yeah, I'll bet against that. Okay, deal. He's a stud. No. You're a bum. (laughs) I did see a couple funny things from it, though. So, you know Roddy White, former Falcons receiver? Yes, I absolutely know Roddy White. Big Saints hater, very vocal on the Twitter. He was kind of talking trash before the game, saying that Taysom is not an NFL quarterback and that they were going to drag the Saints. And Sean Payton went and retweeted that tweet after the game. (laughs) That's dope. Yeah, Sean Payton has become kind of a big troll, of, especially of the Falcons, which has been kind of funny, I guess. But anyway, I thought that was pretty good. It is very interesting to me that with the Drew Brees injury and with Taysom Hill starting, they had virtually zero called runs for him. They had like one or two, I guess, near the goal line because he's a huge, jacked, and fast guy, so they wanted him to score touchdowns. But they had very few called runs for him. They had him dropping back passing most of the game. I guess that's a product of with Drew Brees being out, they don't want to fall back on Jameis, which is why I do believe that they would think he's their future starting quarterback, or else why would they start him over Jameis right now? But that's besides the point. Anyways... Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting strategically from their perspective to be make him the drop back guy rather than what he's known for doing, which is running. Right. And Michael Thomas was back. I mean, he had his first good game of the season with nine catches for 104 yards. So if they can get the Taysom Michael Thomas connection going, that's going to be really good for them down the stretch before they can get Drew Brees back. But yeah, I guess keep an eye on the Saints. We'll see how long he stays in there. All right, let's see. And then one great game that happened this weekend was the Packers versus the Colts. What'd you see there? Well, I saw a great back and forth duel between Noodle Arm Phil and Aaron Rodgers. Phil ended up getting the best of him in overtime. It was kind of a a tragic ending there with uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling having the huge catch for the Packers at the end of regulation to force that game-tying field goal. And then he had a very costly fumble in overtime that ended up losing them the game. But both these teams are good. They'll they'll be around. They'll be in the playoffs. So looking forward to that. So I'm just curious because I've never really established this. So you're not a big Phillip Rivers fan right now because he's got a noodle arm and he throws kind of funny are you like an always against philip rivers guy like have you been against him his whole career as far as him not being a good quarterback or is it just because he's old and slow and, and can't throw the ball anymore I just think it's kind of funny that he can't throw the ball anymore. I'm not super against Phil. I know that his career numbers are extremely impressive, but yeah, I guess I do kind of hold it against him a little bit that he went like 14 and two with that Ladanian Tomlinson Chargers team and couldn't get the job done. Okay. I was just curious because like you said, he does have really, really good career numbers. It was a very good quarterback for the Chargers for a long time. I will agree that he's not what he used to be, but incredible career overall for noodle arm Phil. 
For sure. I mean, as a Cowboys fan, I always loved Tony Romo. I was, I've always been a big defender of him and his career. And I just think that he and Phillip Rivers more or less are the same guy. Phil just did it for longer. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think their best seasons are pretty similar. It's just like you said, more longevity for Noodle Arm Phil. Anything else you want to talk about in the NFL? Yeah, one more, and that's the Titans-Ravens game. The Titans beat the Ravens 30-24 to in overtime. Derrick Henry with the walk-off 29-yard touchdown run. So the Titans and Colts are now tied at 7-3 and in the AFC South. The Ravens fall to 6-4, and and they're now behind the Browns in that division. So they're in third place. Now they've got the Steelers on Thanksgiving night with a depleted backfield now that Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins are on the COVID list. So the Ravens are in real danger of falling to 6-5 and on Thanksgiving and being out of the playoff hunt. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. You you can't count them out because they still have a very, very talented team on both sides of the ball. They're still pretty dynamic at times, so I'm not counting the Ravens out, but they do have an uphill battle ahead of them. I did count them out last week. I said I was done with them. They are not a contender this year. I've, I've put my done chain on them, so I'm, I'm out on the Ravens. I think that they're missing the playoffs this year. All Even right. though last week I did say 11-5, and five, but that was before they lost again. Now I'm way out. <laughs> Reaction guy. Got to. Move on to a little love it or fade it because one of them involves the Ravens. Yeah, let's do it. So love it or fade, it's going to be a little bit different this week. Instead of presenting the three games that the public is heaviest on this week, we're just going to do the three Thanksgiving games. So Lando, you ready for game number one? Let's get it. So the first game on Thanksgiving Day is the Houston Texans at Detroit Lions. What a fun one. We've got Detroit (laughs) plus three at home against the Zans. Who you got? Well, you already know who I got. I am Lions all the way, ride or die. I'm going to fall on my sword here. I picked the Lions to win the division <laughs> this year. Did you pick Stafford to win MVP? I did, and he's still, he's still good, right? If he throws for 700 yards a game the rest of the year, he's got a chance. Yeah, the Lions have not lived up to my lofty expectations. They just lost 20 to nothing against P.J. Walker. Yeah, but there's there were extenuating circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah, they are uh, drastically outcoached every game, which doesn't help. They had Stafford miss entire weeks of practice, not be able to even see his teammates because of COVID. I'm going to find every excuse I possibly can. But yeah, the Lions are not as good as I wanted them to be. I just wanted to go with one bold pick this year, and I picked the wrong team. But anyways, I'm rolling with the Lions this week. Lions plus three against the Scrub Texans. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You can stick with your Lions. Lions at home, Thanksgiving tradition. They should hopefully be getting Kenny Galladay back from injury. I'm going with the Lions too. I like them at home. This one's going to be a shootout. 34-31 Lions. Is Swifty going to play? I don't know. He kind of had that sneaky, weird concussion. I don't know if it happened in practice last week, but hopefully DeAndre Swift will be back. Yeah, he's fun to watch. I hope he plays. Go dogs. Go dogs. All right, game number two, the big one. <laughs> so oh, I was texting you and dad about this after the game yesterday, and I think that this is just ridiculous. So if the Philadelphia Eagles lose to the Seahawks on Monday night, which is expected to happen, then that makes the Thanksgiving Day game between the Dallas Cowboys and Washington football team, who are both currently three and seven. It makes this game for first place in the NFC East. Absolutely ridiculous. What do you think? I'm kind of torn on where I want this one to go. Aren't you? Yeah, because I was full on Team Tank yeah, until this too. week, and I now I don't even know. Yeah, and I'm, I still don't know. So I was I was exactly with you. I wanted them to tank and lose every game the rest of the year, and then they win one game and beat the Vikings, and they have tied for the most wins in the division. They're only, at whatever, I guess it's a half game behind the Philadelphia Eagles, who absolutely suck, uh, who are in first place right now because they had a tie. So yeah, I don't know what I want to happen. 
I I think I'm going to go with the Cowboys, I guess, because the Washington football team is really, really bad, and they are on their third-string quarterback. I don't really know. Both of these teams are not are not easily predictable because they're a different team every week. So I'm going to go Cowboys minus three. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm kind of on the fence here too because I I am not sure which way I want to lean in terms of tanking versus trying to win the division. But I'm just going to go with my gut, especially since they lost to this team a few weeks ago with Andy Dalton at quarterback, and I'm going to take Washington plus the points. I think Cowboys win 24-23. Okay, I guess the nice part is I'm I'm really going to be happy regardless. If they lose, I'll be like, let's go, higher draft pick because we're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. Not even close. <laughs> Unless Dak can come back healthy enough for the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's funny because the Eagles are three, six, and one, and the other three teams are all three and seven. Yep. So there is a half a game separating them. And if you think about the implications in this division, one's going to host a playoff game. The two in the middle are both going to get top 10 picks. And then last place gets relegated to the Big 12 for 2021. So Let's go. just half a game separating those things is wild. They're going to be a photo finish. It is really crazy. All right, last one. Last one. So this is the night game on Thanksgiving night. This is, I think, a new wrinkle. Have we ever had three games on? We We have. have? Yeah. Okay. Well, fake news for me then. All right. So the Steelers (laughs) are hosting the Ravens at home. We mentioned the depleted Ravens backfield. The Steelers 10-0 trying to remain undefeated. Pittsburgh is minus four and a half at home at Heinz Field. What you got? So other than the news that you were talking about, I was leaning Ravens. You know, the, the Steelers have already got the one seed pretty much wrapped up. The Ravens are fighting for their playoff lives and they just need a big win. They're at home. Everything in that regard kind of leans toward the Ravens, but they are such a run heavy team that missing their top two running backs is devastating. So because of that reason, I'm going with the Steelers minus four and a half. I think they're going to win by a touchdown. Steelers defense is just so sick. It is. I mean, TJ Watt in the running for defensive player of the year. Minka Fitzpatrick is probably up there too. Mm. I mean, since they traded for him last year, their defense has just been unreal. Cameron Hayward's playing great. Cam Hayward's nasty. And then the Ravens offense is just kind of broken. Mm-hmm. And now they lose a couple pieces. I mean, I know that the Ravens really desperately need this win to stay in the playoff hunt. Their backs are against the wall. But going on the road against this defense, I just don't see it happening. I'm taking the Steelers to win this one 27-14. There we go. I'm with you. All right. I think that's going to be it for NFL football. What we got next? Let's talk about some NBA free agency. It's hard to even keep up with all the things that go on here. I, I just absolutely love the free agent period in NBA. It's the best of any sport. Just pieces moving all around the league. Guys signing huge contracts. What are your biggest storylines here? Yeah, NBA free agency is a lot of fun because it goes from zero to 100 so fast. All of a sudden, nothing's happening, and then Woj is tweeting like every four seconds about another move that's going on. So let's start off by talking about some big contenders, teams that made it deep in the playoffs last year that have made some moves. The first one being the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers. First of all, they have either traded or let a lot of pieces from last year's championship team go. They've lost Rajon Rondo, Danny Green, Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley, JaVale McGee. All those guys who were key rotation players last year are all gone, but they have made some really good additions, especially they added the top two finishers in six man of the year last year with Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. Also added Wesley Matthews, who's going to be kind of a piece for piece replacement for Danny Green. They kind of do the same thing stylistically. And then also they got Mark Gasol today to replace JaVale McGee, which is kind of funny. He'll he'll be the new stiff that starts the game, plays the first 10, first 10 minutes, and then goes to the bench and watches the rest of it. But I really, really like what the Lakers have done. What do you think? 
I like it too. It's funny you mentioned Mark Gasol because I, I kind of forgotten about this, but it's his return to the Lakers. Really? He he got drafted by the Lakers and traded for his brother Pal before he ever played there. I completely forgot about that. I forgot about that to the other wow. day. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, another couple big things for the Lakers were bringing back Contavious Caldwell-Pope after he had a really good playoff run last year. And then they re-signed Markeith Morris, which is also a pretty solid piece. I think they are really well positioned after these last few days for a repeat. I expect that LeBron is probably going to set new career lows for minutes per game and probably points per game this year. One, because of such a short offseason, I think he's going to want some rest for the playoffs because obviously he's old. And then two, I think he actually has the pieces to shoulder some of the scoring load behind him, especially with that second unit. Is I mean, assuming that Montrezl Harrell and Dennis Schroeder are going to come off the bench, I think they can help out a lot with the scoring along with AD, obviously. So yeah, I think it's going to be a really good team this year once again. Agreed. And I think it's an interesting point you make in terms of LeBron setting career lows for minutes played. And it wouldn't surprise me if a few players around the league do that for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, the shortened off season, you want to have some load management there and preserve their bodies for the playoffs. And two, because it's a little bit different going into the season, knowing that there's not going to be fans because teams don't have to prioritize home court. It's just not going to be as big of a thing. So I agree with your point there. And then just one last point I want to make about the Lakers in general this offseason is it feels a little weird because their offseason as a whole, it almost feels like they lost the finals and decided that they needed to blow it up and kind of start fresh to get over the hump. So a lot of these fresh faces in there, I mean, I love the Schroeder trade, the Montrez Harrell signing we were talking about the other day, and I just, I feel like they got a lot better offensively. The tricky thing about it is going to be how is their rim protection and how is their interior defense losing both Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee? So yeah, good off season for the Lakers, but I guess it remains to be seen whether they can defend this title. Yeah, I don't even think it's just the interior defense. I think it's the perimeter defense as well. Danny Green, Rajon Rondo, and Avery Bradley were all really good perimeter defenders when they wanted to be. So they lost a lot. And then the other thing that stands out to me is they're not a great shooting team the way they stand right now. Wesley Matthews is a good shooter. I think he's like around 38% for his career, but Dennis Schroeder's not great. Montrezl Harrell's not a threat at all from three. So yeah, we'll see where the shooting is going to come from. That's a big thing in the NBA these days, obviously. It is. And it's funny because that was the concern with them going into last season. They ended up being really good, even despite, you know, an underperformance from Danny Green there. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how the Lakers go, but let's move on to the next contender that you wanted to talk about. Who's that? The Atlanta Hawks. We can talk about the Hawks. Do you want to talk about the Hawks? Well, I've got the Hawks in my notes, and I mean, I consider them a contender. Do you? I don't, but go ahead. (laughs) I mean, Travis Schlink, been a big spender of the offseason. The Atlanta Hawks GM who came over a couple years ago from the Golden State Warriors, they've added Danilo Gallinari, Rajon Rondo, who we just mentioned, and then I think as recently as today, it became official that they signed Bogdan Bogdanovich, one of the best names in the NBA. So how do you feel about the Hawks offseason? They've added a lot of good pieces. I do like the Hawks offseason. They are moving in the right direction around that solid young core they already had. One thing they needed to do was get better defensively in the backcourt because their best player, Trey Young, is one of the worst backcourt defenders in the NBA. He lets everyone who wants to drive around him effortlessly at any time that they want to. So they added Rajon Rondo and Chris Dunn. Rondo showed last year that when he's motivated, he can still play, play really good defense. He's a past all-NBA defense guy. And then Chris Dunn, still has the potential. He's still pretty young. I think he's 27, something like that, to be an all-NBA defense kind of guy. They added some big guys with Onyeka Okongwu in the draft at sixth overall. Gallinario can can play power forward. They've got a lot of good kind of wing guys with Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter are all really young. They do have a solid core. I think 
all of this depends on how much those guys can develop. Cam Reddish needs to become a good player. DeAndre Hunter needs to be a solid rotation guy. Kevin Herter needs to be the sharpshooter that they drafted him to be. If those guys can become good contributors, they can have a really good team. They can, yeah. And I, I really like what they're putting together there. It's a fun team. And just with who you mentioned, Trey Young, Herter, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdanovich, I mean, it just feels like they have a handful of these like 18 point scorers mm-hmm. who can threaten you in a lot of different ways on offense. We didn't even mention John Collins, who's a good high flying rim running power forward and, and Clint Capella, who's now their new starting center. Like that's a pretty solid team. What do you think? What numbers would you guess that John Collins averages? 16 and nine. I looked at it. He averaged 22 and 10 last year. Yikes. That's so sneaky. Wow. That's really, really good. Yeah. John Collins is good. Yeah. Like no one thinks about him because I mean, he's just kind of this quiet guy out of Wake Forest who plays for the Hawks who are not a huge market team in the NBA, but John Collins is really good. Yeah. Cause I, I'm kind of embarrassed how much I under, underestimated his scoring ability. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm not lying about those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And then I did want to mention this. The Hawks, I think have a chance to compete for one of those last playoff spots in the East because the East is so bad this year. Have you seen what the new play-in situation is for the NBA playoffs? I did hear that they're going to implement some kind of play-in tournament that they're going to do like mid-season, but I don't know the exact details. Am it's, I making that up? I think you made up the mid-season part. Okay, cool. So what I, what I read, fake news number two, uh, what I read was that at the end of the year, the seven and eight seeds play against each other and the nine and the 10 seeds play against each other. The winner of the seven, eight game becomes the seven seed the loser has to play the winner of the 9-10 game and that team becomes the eight seed. It's kind of crazy. That is crazy. I mean, I, I like it just adding some kind of intrigue to it just because everyone knows that whoever ends up getting these seven and eight seeds just kind of gets killed and it's not that interesting. They usually just get swept or lose 4-1. So I respect that the NBA is adding a little bit of intrigue there. Adam Silver, he's just he's got it going on. He knows what he's doing. Well, it kind of functions in the same way that the new Major League Baseball playoff format not this year, but in previous years functions as far as because the two wildcard teams have to play a sudden death game basically against one another, you're more motivated to win your division. That's kind of how it's going to be at the end of the NBA regular season now is none of these teams are going to want to be the seven seed or the eight seed. So they're going to be fighting like crazy at the end of the year and make these end of the year games more meaningful because you really, really want to be in the top six. I feel you, but seven and eight seeds fighting hard like the problem is they're just not that good (laughs) so they can they can try to get up to the six seed but i I don't know i mean you're always trying to do that i don't know if that's really any added motivation the seven seed mavs took the clips to seven that's true and lost so they (laughs) they they gladly would take that again no you're right i mean these upsets do happen the seven and eight seeds they're just kind of few and far between but anyway before we move on i just googled it so i want to follow up and clarify that i didn't give you fake news so last year john collins in 33 minutes a game averaged 21.6 points and 10.1 rebounds on 58 percent shooting from the field can you see his three-point percentage on there by any chance? I will in a second. Okay. I want to go ahead and move on to other teams that we actually think are contending for championships. We started with the Los Angeles Lakers. 40%. 40? Yeah. <laughs> He's a good shooter. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to the Los Angeles Clippers now. The only really big thing that's happened to them is they lost Montrezl Harold to the Lakers, like we already mentioned. And to replace him, they signed Serge Ibaka, which I actually think is a great move for them. Serge Ibaka is still a really, really good player, and he kind of provides something different from Montrezl Harrell in that he has added the three-point shot to his game. So having an extra perimeter perimeter threat that Kawhi and Paul George can dish the ball to, I think that's a really solid piece for them to add. 
yeah, I like it. I think it's a great replacement for Harrell. And yeah, I just, I hope that this upcoming year we can get that Lakers, Clippers, you know, all Los Angeles conference finals that we got robbed of this year. I think everyone was so excited to see what that would look like in Staples Center, you know, star-studded crowd with all these celebrities in the front few rows, alternating the court whether it's, you know, says Clippers or Lakers on it every game for no reason. I don't know. I I just, I hope that we get that this year. Yeah. Let's move on over to the Eastern conference. Now the one seed in last year's playoffs in the East, the Milwaukee bucks who are really, really trying to keep Giannis. They have the ability to offer him a super max contract this year. So they need to add some pieces around him made one big move in trading for drew holiday, which should be a major upgrade in their backcourt, both in terms of shooting and in defense. Eric Bledsoe was in the two guard spot last year and shot horrendously from three point from three point land and also was not a great defender even though he's capable of being a good defender he didn't play that well so drew holiday should be a big addition for them we mentioned bogdan bogdanovich to the hawks the bucks thought they had to sign and trade in place for him and then that kind of fell through so that sucks but we'll see what else they do they really really need to keep you honest they do, and they're kind of selling the farm to try to appease Giannis. Who can blame them? But giving up three first-round picks for Drew Holiday, as good as he is, feels like a ton. They're just going to be in a really bad spot if he leaves, and honestly, I still think he will. Yeah, they're in a really sticky situation right now. If he stays and signs the Supermax, they are a contender for the next, I mean, for, for, for the foreseeable future. If he leaves, they are doomed for the next decade. They are, and like losing three first round picks in that Drew Holiday trade, I would think that they could, you know, at that point turn around and trade Drew Holiday for two first round picks back to somebody else who's a contender. But anyway, that would leave them in an absolutely terrible spot. And I'm sticking with my prediction that I gave a few months ago, and that's that he's going to the Heat. I really hope he stays. I just I love it when guys get drafted by teams who are relatively small markets and just grind it out, stick it out, and try to win a championship with that team. I'm hoping that Giannis does that. I go both ways on that. Like I, I really respect the perseverance of guys who hang around and just try to win. Like when Dirk finally got his title in Dallas, that was so sick. And now he's just a legend out there forever. Mm-hmm. Like they named a street outside the arena after him and they're about to build his statue. Like it's really cool. But in the case, like I've mentioned to you before, and I know you disagree with me on this, like Dame Lillard, if he just sticks around and doesn't win with the trailblazers his whole career, I just don't think that's that cool. I think it's, I still think it's cool. I want him to stay around forever. I think it's awesome. But like the way that we have moved, the way that we judge guys based on rings, especially when people talk about it on social media, like if you never won one, you just get ridiculed. Like it's a huge reason why Kevin Durant did what he did. He kind of sold out and we hated it, but you just, you have to get a ring one way or another, or you're just going to be seen as this tragic figure like Charles Barkley and Dan Marino. You know this. I've always hated the ring argument. I think it's just lazy and stupid. It, it is not doesn't take context into account. There's nothing wrong with the fact that John Stockton and Carl Malone, who are both all-time greats, ran into Michael Jordan their entire career. That's fine. There's They didn't do anything wrong. They're both incredible players and should be seen as such forever. Charles Barkley didn't win one because he played in the era of some other greats, namely Michael Jordan. Like I just don't get why rings are just the end-all be-all of a conversation as far as greatness of, a, of an individual's career. It doesn't make any sense to me. I wouldn't say that they're the end all be all, but it's a huge part because it's just it's kind of a validation of a great career. It is validation, but at the same time, people treat it as the end all be all. If you bring up to over half of the country right now, the whole LeBron versus Jordan debate, what's the first thing that people are going to say? Six rings to four. Like, like who cares? That doesn't. That's not it. 
that does not determine how good of a player someone is. Four kind of caught me off guard. I'm not used to that yet. It is four now. It, huh? it is four. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I just hate that argument. If that's the case, then Bill Russell's better than all of them. I mean, Robert Ory is one of the top five yeah. players of all time. Yeah. There's actually some I've guys. I've always said that. There's some guys in the Celtics that you've never heard of from like with the sixties that have nine rings. Which is really funny to yeah. think about. Yeah. Another kind of smaller name addition for a contending team that I loved. The Miami Heat added from the Lakers, Avery Bradley, who I think just as far as playing style and personality is a perfect fit for that team. Culturally, he's exactly what they're all about. He's like a quiet professional who just gets after it, goes about his business, adds really good perimeter defense and three-point shooting. Love the addition of Avery Bradley for the Heat. 2021 defense with Avery Bradley, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Giannis is going to be nasty. Yeah. <laughs> It, without without Giannis, is going to be nasty. <laughs> yeah, it'll be really good. And then you add Duncan Robinson, who's probably a contender for Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, they'll just be Don't really hate good. on Duncan. Duncan is elite. Duncan is so <laughs> sick. <laughs> I know he's your boy. But yeah, that's a good addition for the Heat. I mean, they'll be back. I don't know if they're going to get all the way to the finals, but they'll be right up there in the thick of things. Who hits more threes next season, Steph Curry or Duncan Robinson? That's actually not a terrible question. <laughs> I'm going to go with Steph, but only because Clay's out and he's going to have to carry the load. He'll be back in the MVP conversation, in my opinion. It's going to be Steph, but I'm going with Duncan Robinson for number two. <laughs> All right. I like it. Well, if you don't have any more contenders to talk about, can we talk about some of these NBA contracts? Let's talk about them. So the two or the 2017 draft class is just absolutely killing it. I didn't really realize this was a thing, but I guess there's that rookie maximum extension that some of these guys are signing. Mm-hmm. So Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell both agreed to five-year, $195 million rookie maximum extensions. That's big money. That is big, big money. Good for them. They're crushing it. And then De'Aaron Fox for the Kings, he got five years, $163 million. So good for him. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, stay in Sacramento for my whole career, but if you're going to get the money, sure, why not? Yeah, so these guys are all returning to the teams they were already on. And then another one is Fred Van Vliet. Really happy for him. He signed a four-year, $85 million contract to stay with the Toronto Raptors, which is the largest contract in NBA history for an undrafted player. Good for Fred. Yeah, I'm happy for Fred. He's kind of an unsung hero out there in Toronto. Helped them win a title. Was maybe second, I guess probably third best player on that mm-hmm. team. So he's emerged as a really good player and kind of unexpected. So good for him. And then last one that I want to mention back to the 2017 draft class, in addition to Tatum, Mitchell, and De'Aaron Fox, is Bam Adebayo. I mean, it feels like he hasn't been in the league for that long, but I mean, he's probably up next with one of those big deals. Yeah, that's because he didn't really do much at the beginning of his career. He was kind of a bench guy, not really in the rotation a lot of the time, and then just broke out last year. So it doesn't feel like he's been in the NBA for that long. But yeah, he's going to get paid a lot in the very near future. Yeah, he is. And yeah, just to, to wrap things up on that draft class, you remember the first two picks in there were Markel Fultz. So that's pretty tough for him. And then Lonzo Ball, the number two overall pick, is just watching all of his peers get $195 million deals while he is on a recent episode of The Masked Singer dressed as a monster, <laughs> rapping Lean Back by Fat Joe for Robin Thicke and Kim Jong. So, I mean, you tell me who the winner of that draft class is. Oh, for real. All right. I have another funny thing that I saw today on Instagram. Hit so me. Malcolm Brogdon, you were just talking about how it doesn't seem like, like Bam Adebayo has been in the league for very long. Malcolm Brogdon seems like he just entered the NBA, right? A couple years ago. He's yeah, just a Virginia guy? Yeah, just a rookie a couple years ago. He's 27 years old. You know who else is 27 years old? Andre Drummond. 
How are those two guys the same age? Andre Drummond's been in the league for 10 years, it seems like. And Malcolm Brogdon was a rookie two years ago, and they're the same age. That is interesting. Did Andre Drummond come out of high school? It feels like he's like on the verge of retirement. I think he was one of those guys that reclassified when he was a junior in high school to become a senior. And so he went to college as like a 17 or maybe just 18-year-old. So he came into the league really young. And so, yeah, he's been in the league forever, but he's only 27. And Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, what did he play four years in college? Mm-hmm. Yeah, went to Virginia, just like really kind of boring, but good fundamental basketball player. Yeah, it's just one of those funny ones that can't believe they're the same age. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. All right, one more uh, contract I wanted to talk about. Gordon Hayward signed oh, a $120 million deal with the Charlotte Hornets. On one hand, I'm excited for him. Good for Gordon. That's a lot of money. On the other hand, he has turned one all-star appearance into two contracts worth $248 million. How does he do it? I don't get it. I don't know. I I was shocked by this. I mean, people, when he opted out of his one-year option with the Celtics for $34 million, people were like, dude, are you insane? Just kind of considering his career tra- trajectory and that ankle injury he had. But he clearly knew that something was going on behind the scenes for him to be able to turn that down. And what was going on is that he had Michael Jordan, one of the worst GMs and owners in NBA history, probably on the hook for $120 million. He was the fourth option for the three seed in East last year like that's that's not very exciting yeah but he does have a cool mustache now is it cool sure like do you want that mustache i mean no but i'm not six nine with a 120 million dollar contract if i did i would have a great mustache <laughs> right. i always said that i would have tats if i was jacked you would have a mustache if you were tall oh yeah i would try to look as much like the Monopoly man as possible if I was 6'9 with $120 million. Is there anyone whose name fits them better than him with the mustache? Like, he just looks like a Gordon Hayward. Yes, he he it, he's like he, the protege to Sherlock Holmes. Okay. I feel I like that, feel that. that, yeah, that's just kind of his look and that name. Yeah, just Detective Hayward. Okay, is he going to play Sherlock Holmes in any sort of movie? I wouldn't be surprised. I did see that LeBron on Instagram was in the studio today recording some of his lines for Space Jam 2. Interesting. Yeah. Have you seen the uniforms for that? They're pretty horrendous. The movie just cannot be good, right? How do you ever follow up the first Space Jam? It's a it's legendary. You can't follow that up. It's going to be terrible. Yeah, Space Jam is incredible and it's timeless, but I don't know. Like LeBron and all of the money and the players that are participating in it, all the money that's being invested, I'd be surprised if it was that bad. I feel like they're going to do a decent job, but who knows? I need to look up who's writing this thing. That's that's what it's all about. I did see that Bronny is not playing LeBron's son in the movie. Yeah, is he, I wonder if he's just not a good actor or if they're just trying to protect him since he's like 17 years old. Well, I'm sure they're going to get another kid. Yeah, but like a kid actor who's used to acting. And no, it's not. It's like a five-star high school football recruit. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Sierra Wright, I think is his name. Weird, Yeah, huh. I don't know. We'll see what happens with Bronny, though. Bronny is... I'm not sold on Bronny's future basketball career like everybody else is. I know. The whole narrative about uh, Bronny the last couple of years is that he's going to make it to the NBA after one year of college and that LeBron is going to kind of hang around until he can play with him or at least on the same court as him for a game. I don't know. Bronny, what is he, 6'2"? He's 6'2". He's a sophomore in high school right now. So he's not going to get LeBron's size. Don't think so. Where is he going, Ohio State? Duke. Oh, really? I think so. I think that's what people are predicting him to go to. He he walks around in Duke shirts all the time. I think that's where LeBron wants him to go. 
Okay, fair enough. I mean, I, I assume he's going to get what he wants. He always does. We're going off the rails here, but did you see who the number one recruit in Bronny's class is? It is another son of a former NBA player. Is it a junior? Yes. I don't know why I asked that because I still have no clue, but who it's is it? It's Dewan Wagner Jr. who goes by DJ. Really? No, number one overall recruit Memphis in the class. guy. Yeah, pretty sick, right? Uh, he ended up being a bust. Yeah, he got hurt, I think. Yeah, he wasn't. He was great in college. He only played one year, right, for, for Coach K. or uh, Sorry, for John Calipari. And then left for the NBA. Got drafted top 10, but wasn't great in the NBA. And I think it was injury-related, but he was a really good college player. Wow, that makes me feel old because I, like, I remember him. Yeah, there's a lot of those these days that are starting to make me feel really old. There are a ton of sons of guys that we watched when we were kids playing professional sports now. It's, it's very strange. Marvin Harrison Jr. is in... Uh, Ohio State's next recruiting class for football, which is I wild. saw that yeah. Frank Gore Jr. Yeah, they're they're all over the place. It's definitely strange. Could Frank Gore still play with his son? Dude, he might. He might. He has clearly demonstrated that he has no intentions of hanging it up until he is forced to. Well, he's also not going to go out 0-16, so... Probably not. <laughs> That's tough. Well, w- what better way to end it than talking about Frank Gore going 0-16? <laughs> in, in, college, in college basketball recruiting amongst sophomores in high school. <laughs> Let's go. What an episode, guys. We did it. All right. Well, that's perfect timing because it is 8-17 on Monday night, three minutes away from kickoff. I am a nervous wreck hoping that I don't get guillotined tonight. I'm ready to pull against Mike Evans. Let's wrap this up, Lando. Yeah, I think you got this, bro. I'm feeling good about your chances of staying alive in the guillotine tonight, making it down to the final six let's go final six suck it mac and poteet go home one of you (laughs) one of y'all is probably done all right well that's going to be it for this episode thank y'all once again for tuning in please don't forget to leave us some reviews on apple follow us and subscribe to us on apple and spotify we'll catch you on the episode next week next monday hope you have a happy thanksgiving have a good day (laughs) 